0: Today on the show, I watched Desperate Measures with Michael Keaton and Shadow Conspiracy with Charlie Sheen, and they were straight up trash. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate it. And, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I've got some movies to talk about. I really don't know how much warm-up I really want to do, but I'm gonna do a little bit just to be safe. There have been a couple of times... In my life that I've had someone talk to me like I was the dumbest fucking person alive. And it was such a humiliating experience. And it it wasn't even like it was necessarily their intention. It was just they assumed that I was dumb. And I guess that's probably a fair thing to assume about somebody. You know, based on what you see in the world. It's just the way it is, okay? So the first time that I'm thinking of was... It was a friend of mine that I used to work with, and her and I never really had problems with each other, and I posted a status on Facebook, and it was basically something to the effect of having watched the movie Grease, I was was talking about how the movie was confusing to me, you know, aside from the whole breaking out into song and dance at random throughout the movie thing i noticed that at the very end of the movie danny zuko and and sandy they they get into that car together and they fly off into the sunset like what the fuck is that you know like i don't i don't even remember if they were really riding off into the sunset but it was just they were flying away you know what i mean all of a sudden this car can fly What the fuck? And when I posted this, having made mention of the fact that, you know, they broke out into song and dance, one of my friends commented and said, well, the reason they break out into song and dance is because it's a musical. And I was like, are are you fucking serious right now? That's you're you're actually telling you you don't realize that I'm joking about them breaking out into song and dance. Yes, I realize that they break out into song and dance in fucking musicals, and that's what it is. Holy shit! It was just a joke. It's it's a little unusual to see people breaking out into song and dance, even if you know it's a musical. It's still like this very jarring experience, in my opinion. But um, uh, so so there was that, and I I I commented back to her, and I said, "Gee, thanks." I didn't realize that *Greece* was a musical. I'm. I really appreciate your insight. And she, like, I think realized that maybe she had had been a little ridiculous. And. So the other time was, okay, so I work and I, am not going to go into what I do for a job because it's not a good look for me to have, you know, a bunch of shit going on with talking about my, my work and where I work and who I work for and all that stuff. But so suffice it to say, I work in a factory and you know, when, when people are building things in this factory, they have a manifest on the you know for the the thing that they're building so they know what they need to you know what parts they need to put on the thing that they're building and I I was trying to look at one of the manifests to see what what it was that they were building and she was like oh yeah, you look at that to see what the model is. And then, you know, these are the different codes for the different options. I'm like, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I fucking know that that's what that is. Did you think I was trying to figure out what letters were too? Like, what are these weird symbols? You know, I... Fuck off, like, god damn it! It's just so aggravating when it's like, you haven't really earned being treated like you're stupid to somebody and all of a sudden they're just treating you like that. So I guess I will just get into those movies right now because I'm, I'm terrified, even though, you know, for both of these movies, I had a really hard time keeping my attention focused on the movie. You know, I was trying to take notes while I was watching them and I didn't want to miss anything, but I fear that I did indeed miss some things when I was, when I was taking the notes. So it's like, I'd try and pause it. It wasn't working out super good. So I just, I did what I could and just went with it. And I just, I accepted that that was how it was going to be. The first movie we have is called Desperate Measures. It came out on January 30th, 1998. It was directed by... Someone named Barbet, Barbet, Schroeder, Schrader, something like that. Barbet, Barbet Schroeder is what I'm reading here. So I'm sorry if I, I have a hard-to-pronounce last name, so I really try and get these things right. But I, I just wanted to to give it a shot on a couple. But Barbet Schroeder, it's probably the last time I'll mention his name anyway. So he he's made a few movies that I've vaguely yeah. heard of before, but not, nothing really standing out in my mind as anything special. He made the movie Single White Female, Kiss of Death, and Murder by Numbers, among others. But those were the ones that really stood out as... Ones that seemed like they were his bigger movies. So he was the director of this movie. And then the writer of this movie was actually the author of the book this movie is based on, I guess. And he... the I actually had heard of... He wrote the book Kiss the Girls, which ended up getting made into a movie with, uh... I think Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, maybe? It, it was a pretty solid movie. It wasn't... It wasn't half bad. And he also made Walking Tall, which I think they adapted into a movie. And it was, uh... I think The Rock was in it, or Dwayne Johnson, if you want to, you know, refer to him by name, which I think he prefers now. Uh, Actually, shockingly, the soundtrack, or I should say the score of this movie was... It was made by a guy named Trevor Jones, and I had actually heard of a lot of the movies that he had done. I can't say that I particularly remember the score from those movies, but he did Excalibur, Runaway Train, The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Mississippi Burning, The Last of the Mohicans, and In the Name of the Father. Now, the last two star Daniel Day-Lewis and... I've seen both of those. It's been a while. I liked The Last of the Mohicans. That was a solid movie. And then In the Name of the Father was just super fucking depressing. Like, my God, I get it. It's a true story. But not every true story needs to be made into a fucking movie or a book or something. You know, I mean, sometimes things can just happen. And that's... That's where we need to draw the line. I mean, that's at least that's how I feel about it. Say what you want about it. The lead actor in this movie is Michael Keaton himself. He plays a man named Peter J. McCabe who is actually supposed to be one of these, you know, Ted Bundy types, you know, like he's a super crazy killer man, you know, and he he's he's murdered all these people and that put him in prison. And then he murdered a bunch of people when he was in prison. And so he's in like maximum security, super high lockdown type stuff. So Michael Keaton, obviously, you know, you, he was Batman. He's my favorite Batman. That's I'll just say that right now. He was in the 1989 Tim Burton movie, as well as the Tim Burton follow-up Batman Returns. And he was in Night Shift, Mr. Mom, Johnny Dangerously, which is an underrated one. I really like Johnny Dangerously. It's just a little ridiculous, and I think that's... It, it's it's a, a neat idea for a movie. It, it just... It, it's different. I don't know. I've never seen a movie like it. Uh, he was in Beetlejuice, which... Honestly, like, if it's non-Batman, Tim Burton, I'm usually not a big fan, and this is no exception. Batman is it for me. It's like, Beetlejuice, nah, I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, He was in Clean and Sober, The Paper, which I watched fairly recently, and it was a pretty mediocre movie. It didn't stand out at all for me. He was in Multiplicity with Andy McDowell, that's one where he, like, clones himself and is trying to get you know, more time in his life and stuff. And so he starts cloning himself to have the other versions of him do other things. And it ends up being a pretty, I assume pretty shitty. I haven't seen it since I was a little kid. So I I can't really say that I remember whether or not it was any good, but I don't feel like it would stand the test of time if I went to revisit. So I'm just not going to do that to myself. Uh, He was in Jackie Brown, which is a Quentin Tarantino movie. He was also in Jack Frost, which will come back later. I just, I can't wait for that moment because it's such an awesome connection. He was also in a movie called Birdman, which I think he won best actor for. And I, I don't know if that movie won best picture, but I got to say, I fucking hated Birdman. I didn't like the style it was in and I didn't like the the score, like the the instrumentation, it sounded like a jazz band was like following Michael Keaton around in this fucking movie. I just did not like it. Uh, he played Vulture in Spider-Man: Homecoming. He play, or he was in uh, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, which was a pretty solid movie. It's like a courtroom drama type. It's, but it was like a true story. So I, as far as Michael Keaton is concerned, he's had his ups and downs, but I still, he's, I love him. He's one of my favorites. You know. He's, he's just great. Um, alongside him, we have Andy Garcia who plays Detective Frank Connor, and uh, he was, you know, Andy Garcia was in The Untouchables, he was in Stand and Deliver, Internal Affairs, The Godfather Part 3, which I never actually finished, because it was such a disappointment. I was just so bored the entire fucking time I was watching that movie. And then he was in Ocean's Eleven. I think he was in the other Ocean's movies, but at least, you know, the the original three, and he didn't, I I don't remember if he came back, because I've only ever seen oceans 12 and oceans 13 like once a piece and it was just that second fucking Ocean's 12, or that, you know, that Ocean's 12 movie where it was like, they, they had Julia Roberts's character play Julia Roberts, and it was so stupid. It was just like, what is this plot? Like, are you fucking kidding me? So anyway, we got Marsha Gay Harden, who plays the, um, the doctor in this movie. And you've probably, if you don't know her name, you've probably seen her face. She has, like, super resting bitch face, like really bad. She was in Miller's Crossing, Meet Joe Black, Space Cowboys, Mystic River, Mona Lisa Smile, and I remember her best from The Mist, which was a pretty solid horror movie, like a a good... Stephen, I think it was Stephen King. And it was, it was pretty good, actually. I liked it. It, it kind of had a bummer of an ending, I think, if I remember right. But it was, it was a good movie. Also in this movie, apparently also in every other fucking movie ever made, is Brian Cox, who I always remember as being, I, I think he, his name's O'Hagan. He's the police chief in Super Troopers. And he's great in that movie. He plays a police officer in this movie. His name is Captain Jeremiah Cat. Okay, he was in Manhunter, which was a movie that had like the char- the character Hannibal Lecter in it and he was Hannibal Lecter, which I always find interesting like I can't even picture him playing that part, you know, it would be so different from Anthony Hopkins as as far as I can tell. He was also in Iron Will, which is a solid movie. It's I think it's a Disney picture, but it's it's a good movie. It's got uh, you know, the once great Kevin Spacey in it, but anyway, it's a solid movie. It's a about The Iditarod, you know, the dog sled race in Alaska, and it's it's a really good one. I it's uh you know it tugs on the old heartstrings and stuff. He's also in Rob Roy. Braveheart, Chain Reaction, The Glimmer Man, which is a Steven Seagal movie. He was in The Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss the Girls, which is another book by this author. Uh, He was in Super Troopers, as I mentioned. He was in The Rookie. He was in The Ring, Adaptation, X2, X-Men United, and Zodiac. Honestly, he's got a pretty fucking solid resume. I mean, aside from that Steven Seagal movie, I would say I've got no complaints about Brian Cox. The guy is fucking great. I mean, he is, I wish he was in more shit. And I mean, he's already in fucking everything. So this movie didn't really have a lot of casting notes or much for bonus trivia type items, honestly. So it's going to be a pretty plot centric type, uh, discussion here. The plot synopsis. So- IMDB, this is this is the plot synopsis that they had. It is, Frank Connor is an honest police officer who desperately needs to save his son's life. However, after losing all hope, he finds out that criminal Peter McCabe in jail is his only savior. So, I took a shot at writing what is the actual plot synopsis of this movie, and I said it was, Frank Connor's son is just dying to find a bone marrow donor. Could killer Peter McCabe fit the bill? I know it's not a traditional plot synopsis and it's probably in bad taste, but this movie is too ridiculous. Like, if you're going to take this movie seriously, get the fuck out of here. Like, just fuck off. Because, I mean, honestly, it's on Tubi, which is a, a free ad-based movie streaming service that I use a lot for especially bad movies and that's just what this is this is a bad movie I mean I'm talking about bad movies today in case you didn't pick up on that and I mean honestly it, it's tough because I'm trying to find these movies that are not ones that have been covered before and they're not ones that you know I've I've heard on other podcasts and stuff and some of them I'll probably I'll go to that well you know i'll'll I'll cover a movie like for instance I think there are some movies that didn't get great episodes out of like we hate movies or how did this get made and so I want to go more in depth with my mocking of them anyway so that's the basic plot synopsis you know Andy Garcia is looking for a donor for to save his kid's life and the only possible donor is this Michael Keaton character that is, is just this raving lunatic fucking criminal, and that's, that's what we're led to believe. At the beginning of this movie, we get, you know, the, the like, studio title cards and stuff, and, and Mandalay Entertainment always has... It's like they show a jungle... It's like live footage of a jungle and all of a sudden this fucking tiger comes walking out of the jungle and I'm like, what is this? And then all of a sudden it says Mandalay Entertainment and I'm like, God damn it. Why did I think that this movie was going to start in the fucking jungle? Anyway, this whole intro, we get these, these credits that are, they're kind of like transposing these credits onto things, you know, they're angling them with, you know, doors and floors and hallways and stuff. And it's just, it, it, it's okay. I can I can deal with it. It's not my biggest gripe of this movie, so I'll, I'll let it have a pass on that. And it, I I noticed that this I mean this came out in ninety eight and Spider Man the. Sam Raimi Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire came out in 2002 and this this movie and you know this movie Desperate Measures and Spider-Man have very similar sounding opening sequences but like Danny Elfman did Spider-Man so I don't know maybe it's just a quinky dink because I mean I would not be surprised if nobody that worked on Spider-Man had seen or heard of this movie okay so when the movie starts it's you don't really know what's going on obviously and you're watching. Watching these people break into a computer, you know, they're in this, this, highly secure building and they break into this computer and they're doing these POV shots where, you know, it's like you're seeing it from their point of view, but it's like they're doing it at like quarter speed. So it's like you're watching it in slow-mo, you know, and it's, it's fucking, it's not a good look. It's not, I mean, don't do the POV if you can help it, honestly, And unless there's something that you have to capture with POV to really help tell the story. Don't do it. There movies have tried to do this before and it, it does not work out well. I mean, it, it does not look good on, you know, as a basic concept in a movie. Basically, what it turns out is like Andy Garcia and an accomplice of his of some sort is breaking in to find out, you know, find a donor and they find out that this Peter McCabe, the serial killer, is a viable donor, Right. And so the next thing we know, Andy Garcia is in this car with Brian Cox and, you know, Brian Cox is a police officer and so is Andy Garcia. And uh, Brian Cox is looking through this serial killer's file and he is like, he is looking at picture after picture of, you know, people being, you know, people that are, that were murdered in gruesome ways and stuff. And he, he gets like so beside himself with disgust that he has to just throw down these fucking pictures. And I'm like, look, if you are, I mean, I know some people who have worked corrections before. I know for sure one, but I think I know one other. And every time Every time anything gets mentioned about something that's, like, particularly gruesome like this, that friend of mine always says, like, he's so desensitized to the whole notion of, you know, having something that's, like, particularly awful or whatever. And I just don't believe that that if Brian Cox is, like, a captain... I don't believe that he is that disturbed by anything he's going to see in these files. I just don't fucking buy it. But anyway, every time we see Michael Keaton, he's... I mean, he's kind of doing like a little bit of a, a voice, like an accent or something. And he's being... He's really overselling the I'm a fucking lunatic prisoner, you know, kind of thing. And it's like he you know, Garcia goes and visits him and, and all of it is. And like, it's at this point in the movie that you, f- you figure out that what they're doing is trying to get, you know, like you don't know until he starts, you know, Andy Garcia starts talking to Michael Keaton. That's when you find out that he's looking for a bone marrow donor. And it's just like, holy shit. So that's what this is going to be. They're going to try and, you know, get a, a, uh trans- fusion or whatever you want to call it from Michael Keaton, and he's this dangerous criminal. Okay. And and all I can think the entire time that I'm watching this movie is how fucking likely is it that Michael Keaton is literally the only person in the world that could do this and they couldn't find anybody else at all, you know? It seems pretty iffy. So... There's only one part of this movie that I remember from before. And I, I just, I, I don't remember what context I saw. Because I don't think I saw the whole movie. And I don't think I saw the beginning of the movie. But it was like, there's a scene where Michael, it's like with Michael Keaton, he's trying to scare someone. So I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. And so we see Andy Garcia visit his son. And, you know, when he first goes to interact with him. He like reaches in like he's going for a fucking open mouth kiss on this kid and you know then he just like kisses his cheek or whatever. But he he pulls out this gift bag and goes to hand it to his son, and his son's like, thanks, Dad! And it's like, okay. Like, first off, I mean, I don't give a shit. You can be thankful, but like, you thank somebody for something after you've seen what it is. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm just being a douche nozzle. I don't know. I'm just saying, what am I thanking you for if I don't even know what the thing is that you got me? Like, what what am I getting out of it? You know, like, what what am I getting from you that I'm thanking you for? Why would I say thank you ahead of time? So, I I gotta say, you know, this kid... I was really surprised because this movie was not rated very well on IMDb. And, you know, I was just, everything I looked at, it was, it looked like it was gonna be all bad all across the board, but it actually had a lot of good people in it. And this kid actually is like a decent child actor. Like, I was pretty pleased with his, uh, his performance. I just, I don't get because, you know, like once they decide that Keaton is going to be the bone marrow donor for this kid, he says he wants to meet the kid and they like actually go along with this you know what i mean it's it's one thing if it's like yeah you're andy garcia you really want somebody to be a donor for your kid you've got to find them but the problem is it's not like it's not in andy garcia's hands at that point like somebody above him would have to say uh you want your son to see who in this prison? I don't fucking think so. You know? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make any logical sense to me that they would actually allow that to happen. I mean, all of the tension in this movie, it's just it's extremely forced. It's it's just it's there's a lot of I don't I don't even know if I want to say overacting, but it's just it's like manufactured tension because it's like, oh, well, you know, what could be more tense than a 9-year-old visiting a serial killer in prison get the fuck out of here and and i i kind of came to this conclusion at this point in this movie that i'm like it's everything else would be fine if this writing wasn't so bad in this movie it is like lazy writing it's just oh my god it makes me so unhappy just thinking about it and There's a moment where Andy Garcia and the son character are talking to each other and the son asks his dad, you know, if he gets this bone marrow from this serial killer, is he going to turn into a serial killer? And I'm like, you know what? That actually sounds like a less bad, but still very bad movie idea that he's pitching right now that, that I would actually rather be watching right now. So... You start to see after the deal is done, you know, they decide Michael Keaton is going to donate this bone marrow and, you know, they're everybody's going to let it happen for some reason. And Michael Keaton, you like see his plot, like his what he's trying to orchestrate, you know, because obviously this is not going to be a fucking movie if Michael Keaton doesn't escape, you know what I mean? So he's got to figure out a way to escape. So he gets this, I don't remember what the hell it was called, but it was some kind of uh, substance that is used to counteract drugs and he gets it from somebody inside the prison and that that prisoner happens to be Tracy Walter who played Bob the Goon in batman from 1989 which also starred you guessed it michael keaton and michael keaton by the way you know because i was so starved for trivia i thought i would share that michael keaton's real name is michael douglas but obviously that name was taken when he went to get his screen actors guild you know his his sag card so he decided he liked diane keaton's last name and he decided to go with michael keaton and that's it and if you follow him on instagram his name his handle is michael keaton douglas so, you know, there's that. I feel like if I went by Michael Keaton for that long in my life, like, I, I might be tempted to just change my name to Michael Keaton, but what can you do? There's a guy that pops up in this movie at one point, and he's he's got a mustache, and I kept thinking, I'm like, well, I definitely know that guy, but where the fuck do I know that guy from? And I, as soon as I looked him up, it was like, oh, he's Tom Smakowski from Office Space, and he's the guy that gets in the car accident backing out of his driveway, and is wearing, like, one of those those metal halo things when you have, like, severe spine damage and shit. So, yeah, it was nice to see him in this movie. I would say, you know, like, as you see... Keaton's plan escalating you know he like swallows a key and at like one point he breaks his thumb and I don't even remember how that comes back to you know come into play later but he breaks his thumb by like tying a string to it it's like he ties a string from his shoe to his thumb and then slams his thumb down on the side of the bed I don't know he fucking breaks his thumb that's that's all you really need to know but he is really going all in on the crazy and and none of the, the key plan to me is suspenseful it's like initially I was thinking what's he doing and I'm like oh wait there's nothing else he could possibly be doing other than fucking trying to escape from this goddamn prison while he's you know or I should say escape from the hospital while he's giving the transfusion and so when they're taking him to the hospital to do this procedure he is there, there are two German shepherd police dogs and he hisses at them and they like squeal in terror at Michael Keaton. And I'm like, no, I'm call, I'm calling bullshit. I cannot accept this. There is no fucking way a man hissing at these dogs. They're highly trained dogs. You know what I mean? That I, I don't fucking believe it for a minute. I- I'm like, I'm thinking at this point in this, this movie, it's like, am I really to believe that Michael Keaton, with all these people around guarding him, knowing that he's in here, that he's going to, you know, break out with all these people around here? Is that what I'm supposed to believe? and they have to unshackle him to do the procedure and then it's like of course they go to they unshackle him and he doesn't like try and break out right away you know it's like he's got this plan where it's he's gonna lull them into a false sense of security because you know they're gonna give him drugs to knock him out because that's really what they want to do they want to like get him put under so that he can't you know do anything to them and they go to do that and of course he's taken this you know other drug to counteract the the anesthesia And it's like, you know, they think he's falling asleep and, you know, lo and behold, that's when he breaks out. But like, by the time he breaks out, they've like lowered the amount of security in the room to like one or two people. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. I don't, there's no fucking way that this is the way it would go down. And I I realized also, because they keep flashing between what's happening with Michael Keaton and what's happening with Andy Garcia. And they show the kid and the kid, it turns out he is actually, Actually, the same kid that was in this movie called Jack Frost... From like right around the same time that this movie came out. And wouldn't you know it, the guy who played his dad, none other than Michael Keaton, who is the Jack Frost. Yeah, that's right. Connective tissue, motherfucker. Okay, so I would say there honestly are quite a few familiar faces in this movie, like, especially given that, like, I would say there are a lot of actors I really like in this movie. Andy Garcia, I'm, I can take it or take him or leave him. I don't really give a shit about Andy Garcia, but other than him, like, I'm, I like a lot of these people and you know all I could think okay so he's breaking out and I'm like yeah he would have fucking had like 10 officers in there with him if he had his handcuffs taken off that's a given you know that's I don't give a shit if he was going under and all that shit nope doesn't fucking matter this is like I don't know 30 minutes in or a little more maybe and all I can think at this point is you know I'm like well they're not gonna catch him this fucking fast like it's just not gonna happen and I also had to remark on you know two Tubi, T-U-B-I, this uh, streaming service, had fucking stupendous picture, like, it, usually I don't notice that kind of thing, but like, if I watch things on Hoopla, which is the, the public library driven service, it's not always so great, you know, like, the, the picture is usually pretty shitty, actually, but Tubi, I was very pleased, and you know, you have to deal with ads, but, you know, then you just take your bathroom breaks then, instead of pausing it, I mean, that's just like the olden days. I said, at at this point there is an hour left in the movie so this is right after Keaton has broken out and he's you know doing whatever and all I can think with this much to go with as dumb as the, the setup for this movie has been all I can think is do you think that Michael Keaton and Andy Garcia look back on this movie with anything but disdain you know like did they are they proud of this movie I don't think so so there's like a stand there's a couple of standoffs in this movie, obviously. I mean, it's a hostage situation slash or not even a hostage situation so much, but like, you know, it's this escaped convict, and he's trying to get out of this place and all that stuff. And at one point, Michael Keaton is holding up Marsha Gay Harden with a scalpel, and Andy Garcia Andy Garcia has him at gunpoint, and basically he coerces Garcia to put the gun down. It's it's like He gets away and Brian Cox is just furious because basically at this point they establish that if Keaton dies, his bone marrow is no good. I don't know how true that is, but I assume it might be accurate. So, you know, he, he escapes and Brian Cox says to Andy Garcia, he's like, how many, how many people are going to have to die tonight? So that kid of yours can live. And it sounds so bad, but it sounds like, you know, nobody's actually going to fuck it. Like you could phrase it so differently you know what I mean but that's what he says and I just I still can't get a finger on what fucking accent this this thing is that Keaton's doing I don't know what it is (laughs) I always ask what's your game penguin and I ask that to Michael Keaton because he's he's got something up his sleeve you know he's gonna go and get these canisters of this highly volatile substance and he's gonna cause an explosion or some fucking thing and I feel like you know at this point Keaton should have already been shot because only Andy Garcia was gonna have that restraint and not want to shoot him so it's like I mean I'm not buying anything at this point everything has just been an insult to my intelligence and Keaton you know he gets around and I'm not gonna cover I can't really get through the whole plot because honestly like at a certain point I couldn't pay close enough attention I couldn't do it anymore it was so fucking bad but at one point Keaton, you know, he's still in this hospital, I think, and he is hacking into the computer. And he, it's like the old standby from like movies in the 90s, where they don't think that anyone knows how to, you know, uh, how computers work. So he just hacks this computer and he types in like show all passwords and it shows everybody's password and he is able to override the entire system and it's just like, okay. At one point, Keaton finally does hold this kid hostage and it was like, at the at the point it finally happened, I was like, I cannot fucking believe that that didn't happen sooner than this. Like, I cannot fucking believe it. And it's just, it is what it is. I guess, I mean, it was a natural point of progression but like basically Keaton develops a bit of a soft spot for the kid and develops a bit of a soft spot for Andy Garcia because Andy Garcia is such a dedicated father and all this horse shit I need to uh I I made a note to myself while watching this movie. It was basically just I need to find some kind of balance with these these notes because I I get really jumpy. I'm like I don't want to miss anything, but I, I at the same time it's like holy shit, you know I can't fucking write down every little thing that happens. There's all this obviously there's a bunch of shit that happens with Michael Keaton and he's you know working all this shit out and eventually they finally fucking capture him. And I mean it's it is I I don't even know that it's too long of a movie. It's just nothing about it is good so it just feels like it's too long they have this you know once they capture him they have this scene at the end with Keaton you know that the transplant is successful and a guard comes to tell Keaton that it all went fine and the kid's gonna be fine and Keaton manages to steal this guard's gun and the movie ends with Keaton holding him up and like asking him what kind of car he drives which is it's it's like a bad it, it's not an earned ending you know what I mean it doesn't it doesn't fucking work for me and the whole plot throughout this entire movie it's just everything is just ridiculous it's it's like are we really are we really being this stupid you know is this is this really how it's happening and I mean that's the way I look at it is it's like what the fuck is the point of this movie I'll get on to I would say as far as praise there's not much I they did capture a level of cheesiness in this movie that I I never thought possible before and I think I've been pretty clear about what what I'm critical of in this movie. Apparently Michael Bay was originally supposed to direct this movie and he dropped out to film The Rock, which by the way was the best career decision he could have possibly fucking made because The Rock is one of the few good Michael Bay movies and I really like The Rock, you know. IMDb, all I could really find in the trivia section was that they filmed this movie in Pittsburgh despite it being set in San Francisco and they kind of, you know, took some buildings that were, you know, featured. And I mean, it just, they they were made to look like they were in San Francisco. And it's like, yeah, who gives a shit? Like, I don't really care. Runtime of this movie, 100 minutes. Budget, $50 million. Worldwide gross, $13.8 million. IMDb rating, 6.1. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 19%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 37%. Personal rating, 1.5 out of 5 stars. I think that this has too many good actors in it to really hold a grudge against it too much. I will say that I've determined that for these bad movies, I'm going to start looking into the the IMDB rating needs to be below like a 5 for me to cover them, I think. I, I, I might be wrong. Maybe in the 5s is fine, but definitely not above a 6 because usually those aren't like like, laughably bad, and that's really what I'm looking for. So, moving right on to our next movie, Shadow Conspiracy, released on January 31st, 1997, directed by George P. Cosmatos. He also directed Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Cobra. So, both of those are Sylvester-, Sylvester Stallone movies. And then Tombstone, which is a fucking great movie, like, probably one of one of my favorite westerns of all time, easily. It's a great fucking movie. The score was done by a guy named Bruce Broughton, and he has multiple award nominations and wins, like a ton of them. He did work on Hawaii Five-O, Gunsmoke, Barnaby Jones. Uh, he, he's just... I mean, the music here, my God, it must just be the movie that's surrounding it, but it's it's pretty bad. So our lead actor is Charlie Sheen. He plays Bobby Bishop. He was in, you know, I mean, it's Charlie Sheen for fuck's sake. I feel like everybody knows who he is, but I'll say he was in Platoon, Wall Street, Young Guns, which I need to see, The Wraith, The Rookie, The Three Musketeers, which I haven't seen in a dog's age, Major League, Eight Men Out. Hot Shots, Money Talks, Scary Movie 3 through 5, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, Two and a Half Men, and Spin City. I mean, he's got a pretty good resume, honestly. And then we've got Linda Hamilton, previously covered on my Terminator slash Italian job episode, where I pointed out that I had not really heard of many other movies by Linda Hamilton. I was wrong. There is one movie I've heard of with her that is called Dante's Peak that I think also has Pierce Brosnan in it. But obviously she was in the Terminator movies. She was in Children of the Corn, which I haven't seen in a long time. She was in something called King Kong Lives, and I really don't know what the fuck that is, but whatever. Then there is Donald Sutherland, who you know from, uh, you know, I covered him in The Italian Job. He plays Jacob Conrad in this movie. Um, if I didn't mention it, Linda Hamilton plays Amanda Givens in this movie. She is a, uh, she's a member of the press, basically. So, you know... <laughs> oh, me. Okay, so... I sometimes like to put little little notes in for myself to look at later and chuckle and I just had one so I always try and make sure I have a section for casting notes in case there's anything notable about who was cast for the movie and, you know, who might have been in it if things had gone differently or whatever. So for this one, casting notes, I said multiple people entered into agreements where they said they were okay with having their face shown on screen during this film. It's a a big one. Plot synopsis. This was a tough one. And the the IMDB one, I want to say was like too wordy, so I didn't even fucking go with it. But. Um, uh, I said, um, a man who works on the White House staff is running for his life after he is told by an old friend about a conspiracy to kill the president, I guess? Yeah. Notes. We, the viewer, are to believe that this man realized everyone in the house was being shot. So the beginning sequence is an assassin breaking into this house and killing everybody in the house. And there is a guy who is like cowering in fear, hiding from this guy. And there are... Six cups and saucers with tea or whatever in them. And he takes, like, you don't know why, but the guy takes a cup and saucer and puts it in a drawer and then flees the house, right? And so, lo and behold, the reason he did that was because, oh, here comes the assassin looking for, you know, whoever else might be in the house. And he counts the fucking cups and is like, oh, I guess I killed everybody. There we go. You know, and so this guy fucking flees and this guy has, you know, clearly important information and all that stuff. So, I mean, we're we're to believe he had the wherewithal to think, oh, this guy's going to figure out that I'm gone if I don't get rid of a cup, you know, like, okay, sure thing. They really want us to know early on, like when we first see Charlie Sheen, we want we want to know he is like this great all-American guy and he is a fucking amazing hoopster and he can really, you know, play with all these guys guys, you know, he's, he's just lighting it up and all this shit. And I'm like, Okay, I would say the only way I can really describe the score of this movie that we keep hearing is it's basically like it sounds like a rejected score from the movie Air Force One with Harrison Ford. And I I noticed that I'm apparently on a Donald Sutherland and Linda Hamilton kick that I wasn't aware of. And I I obviously got the culmination of that in this movie. And the guy who plays the president in this movie is none other than Sam Waterston, who who is uh you know Jack McCoy I think is his name from Law and Order like he's the lawyer right fucking great i mean what an o- what an awesome pick okay there is something that happens so Charlie Sheen is on this phone call and at one point he does like a German accent and is really trying to convince somebody on the other end of the line that they're you know that he's this German guy or something and the person on the other end of the phone hangs up and it does the thing that they do in so many fucking movies with landlines or whatever where they hang up and then it like goes to dial tone like immediately and it's like that doesn't happen that when you are on a landline and somebody on the other end hangs up it's just dead air and then if you don't hang up after a really long time it starts to go to the you know like it's telling you to hang up the phone but it does not go to dial tone I don't think it ever actually goes to dial tone even a little bit and I said oh no the German accent Charlie Sheen just did was unacceptable yeah so that's I don't know if you think that's a good German accent. I'm, this is just, this is going to be on my, uh, you know, my, my audition tapes and stuff. So just so you know, that's, that's my German accent. Yeah. Um, I said, Oh no, <laughs> you're they're, they're at this press conference and out of nowhere, Linda Hamilton's character decides she needs to ask a question. So like the entire fucking press conference stops what they're doing and waits for her to ask the question. And it is absurd. I, I don't know what it is, but as I see all of these people in this movie, it's like, all I can think is that everybody in this movie is too good for this movie, and yet they signed on for it. Like, thus far, it's already been kind of just a slap in the face. Like, it's just, it's been this, this bullshit tense plot, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, there's conspiracy afoot and, you know, people are getting killed to prevent the spread of the, the fear of, you know, what it might mean and everything. At one point point you know so the guy from the beginning of the movie he's running you know he's running for his life and we find out he's actually trying to find Charlie Sheen and he has like a chance encounter with Charlie Sheen on this city sidewalk and it's like before I could even type out the note that said this guy's gonna die he fucking died you know but it was it was so horribly obvious that he that he was gonna die and I gotta say the, the assassin is the, the guy that, like, is the assassin throughout this fucking movie, he looks like, like a, I don't know, like Vince McMahon, if he had, like, no no muscle or anything, you know? Like, if, if Vince McMahon didn't look as plastic-surgeried up as Vince McMahon does. And at one point, Charlie Sheen, he's running from this fucking assassin, and he drops down from a height that is, like, death territory. Like, it is 100% something that... would get him killed if he fell and he fucking lives and it's like god fucking damn it I don't understand at one point this uh, this assassin is wearing like a white lab coat and I it doesn't make any logical sense to me like why and he's got blue jeans on like what did what are we doing and then we you know at some point we keep flashing back to Donald Sutherland and all these White House staffers are talking and one of them is the principal that isn't a bunch of shit he's in th- he's the principal in Breakfast Club and he's in this movie and you know it's like he's always got to be such a hard ass you know so it's like that's just kind of his shtick at this point I said to myself, I'd be willing to bet that Donald Sutherland is the bad guy. Just a hunch, but I'd be willing to bet that he is. And so, I I gotta say, the the assassin you know he keeps coming back, you know, and he's not really anybody I recognize from anything. But he just keeps sucking so hard at fucking killing people, and it's kind of like his job, basically. You know what I mean? So th- that's a problem. I say, I say yet again, Donald has to be the bad guy. And at this point, if Donald is not the bad guy, it's just annoying and irresponsible. And <laughs> I don't, re- I don't remember this honestly. I can't really shed much light on what I meant by this but or what I should say what I was talking about but most guys I said most guys cannot pull off a mustache like that this guy is definitely most guys and I feel like there are a lot of reasons that Linda Hamilton is not in a lot of stuff and they're all on display here it's just there's just I, I don't mean to be a dick but it's just she's not that good you know what I mean she's she's not particularly great if she hadn't been in those Terminator movies I don't think she would have ever done much with her career at all. And Let me be clear with this movie, as I'm watching it, I keep thinking at every turn, I'm not a killer, but if I were, I could have killed Sheen and Linda Hamilton because they like basically partner up, you know, Sheen kind of blows her off, you know, like doesn't really want any part of her because she's a member of the press. And then like he has to come to her because there's a conspiracy going on and people are after him. And so he's got to have her help to figure it out. So they go, her and, you know, her and Sheen go and they want to meet this guy to ask him some questions and they walk up to the guy and they're talking to him and he's not doing anything in the chair. And I'm like, well, he's obviously dead. And they like turn his chair around and he's dead. And then it's like they're they're walking out and the assassin is there. And it's like, why did you let them get that close to the guy you just killed? Why didn't you hide closer and then fucking murder them right away? This is why you're not a good assassin and you shouldn't get hired again. I mean, everybody in this movie, I gotta say it, everybody on... on the cast left their a-game at home they did not fucking bring it here and they so charlie sheen goes to meet donald sutherland at a like an underpass and he i said i'll tell you my plans because you are not the bad guy for show you know because obviously clearly donald sutherland is not a bad guy i don't understand they meet at this weird monument which i'll talk about in a little bit but they, they go to this park and it's like this goofy fucking sculpture where it looks like a giant is like clawing to like get free, but he's like buried beneath the earth, you know, and his arms and ha- head are sticking out. It looks wild. Like what doesn't make sense is they meet at that part, and all you can think to yourself is why would you stop and be out in the open vulnerable when you could easily just get in your vehicle like you're going to do after a few minutes anyway and just talk while you're in that vehicle? And, you know, be on the run. It doesn't, it doesn't make anything, any kind of fucking sense. And, I mean, if, as the movie progresses, it's, it gets more and more obvious. Like, Donald Sutherland's gonna be the bad guy. Like, I had literally no other suspects other than him. Because you know somebody else has to be the bad guy. And, wouldn't you know it, at this point in the movie, they reveal that Donald Sutherland is, in fact, the bad guy. What a fucking shocker. So, they're... Like Sheen and Hamilton are, I don't remember if they're in the White House or, but they're, they're trying to run and they know that they're in there and they set off the silent alarm and everywhere they're, they're walking or, you know, running around, I should say, they're, they're seeing like flashing red lights everywhere, like all over the fucking place. And I'm like, what the fuck is the point of the silent alarm if it alerts that many fucking people to an alarm being present? You know what I mean? Like, is it just for, you know for blind people is i mean is that what it is i don't know and i mean they so the, the, they're all, i mean i'll be honest with you they do try and pile on a lot of suspenseful action thriller type things you know like there, there's a scene where you know an elevator almost falls on linda hamilton she doesn't fucking react to it really at all she doesn't scream she doesn't do shit and she just fucking deals with it i guess she's like oh yep i'm good and they do that bit that I've talked about before, where they're trying to keep somebody on the line to, you know, you know, trace the call. And it's just, it's fucking, it's not the way it works. You know, we all know that that's not the way it works, but they, they want to slap me in the fucking face. And I said at this point that I have shitty thriller bingo, because that's the way it fucking is. So at one point, Sheen is using a tape recorder to record a conversation. And he, like, reaches out. And it looks like he just deliberately drops the cassette tape from the tape recorder in the water that he is near. And it doesn't make any fucking... But it's, like, it's supposed to be, like, accidental. Like, he just accidentally dropped the tape and and it really fucked him over. And this... I mean, there's a scene where they're being chased by on you know, by a a person who's on motorcycle and, you know, they're as they're chasing him, like everybody's just advantageously located and facing in the direction of the motorcycle so that they can get out of the way so that you don't have to see any fucking Stunts or anything happen, and they go down. You know, they're they're running down these steps onto the subway, and Charlie Sheen jumps down onto the tracks. And I always thought that that was like a really fucking bad thing that you weren't supposed to do. But you know, whatever. The motorcycle is still chasing them down into the subway, and and it it does not catch up to Charlie Sheen any faster. Like the the motorcyclist might as well have just been on foot because that's all it's fucking doing. And and I mean. This is this is the biggest problem. Okay, so there's there's a scene where Charlie Sheen has to get into this building and There's, there's security at the front. There are metal detectors, all sorts of shit. And Linda Hamilton decides she's going to create a diversion and just fucking grab some piece of metal, like whatever it is she's got in her hand. And, and she's just going to keep it on her person. And she's going to walk right up to the fucking metal detectors and try and walk through. And then literally every security guard that is guarding this gate stops guarding the gate to apprehend Linda Hamilton, who has put up very little resistance whatsoever. And it just, I I don't, I don't get it. So like, basically, when this happens, Charlie Sheen can just run through the metal detector, doesn't fucking matter. And he just keeps going. And I, at this point, I just can't, I still can't believe anybody signed up to be in this movie, but when he gets into this place, it's like this convention, you know, and it's like, there is a remote controlled helicopter, like a, like a small helicopter that has guns mounted on it and is, wreaking havoc at this fucking convention. And, you know, like basically everything's coming down to, you know, Charlie Sheen catching what's going on, you know, like catching the the bad guys and, you know, Donald Sutherland's at this convention and the other accomplices he has are at this convention and they start dying. And then, of course, you know, like Donald Sutherland knows he's going to get caught. So he just fucking offs himself. And I, I literally tried calling it, but it, it was too, it happened too quickly to type it out. To actually say, yeah, he's definitely going to off himself soon. And it did seem a bit like throughout this entire movie, like the actors were just performing against their wills. Like they really didn't want to be there and they were just being forced to. I mean, I just, And it finally, you know, the movie finally gets over with. And it's, the whole thing has just been a big fucking slap in the face. I would say the acting was not particularly bad, honestly. It was actually pretty decent acting. And it was shot like, I mean, it kind of looked dated for 1998, 97, whatever the fuck it was. But it was, it was decent. It was, it was not poorly shot. Uh, I, I would say the, the writing is lazy. The, it's very predictable. It's... It's a blanket statement that I I feel like just lumps all the criticisms I have for this movie into one. It's just everything is the path of least resistance in this movie. It's just whatever's easiest, just do it. So a little bit of trivia, you know, I mean, Charlie Sheen and Linda Hamilton apparently both said in interviews that they were not fans of this movie and they didn't like it and that, you know, they, they admitted it was pretty bad. Um, the unusual statue at the park where Sheen and Hamilton meet is uh, called The Awakening and it, it depicts a giant embedded in the earth Struggling to free himself. And that information, I will tell you right now, is more interesting than watching this movie. Runtime, 103 minutes. Budget, 45 million. Worldwide gross to date, 2.3 million. IMDb rating, 4.9. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 3%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 18%. Personal rating, 1 out of 5 stars. I might give it a. I, I can always go 0.5 stars, so I guess 0.5 is for the acting not being terrible, but just in general, the plot was terrible. All right, everyone. Well, that was Desperate Measures and Shadow Conspiracy, and those two movies came out in the mid to late 90s. They were both really terrible. You know, if you if you want to watch them, Shadow Conspiracy is on Hoopla, which is the library one. And then Tubi is where the uh, the other one is. What what the fuck? I, I can't remember these movies' names. Uh, Desperate Measures. It's, that one is on Tubi. So if you feel compelled to watch those movies, eh, I mean, I, I suggest against it, but do what you gotta do. Uh, all right. Well, if you have any ideas for movies, good, bad, new, whatever, let me know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and figure out what I want to do with this format and how I want to do it. But as of right now, it's the way I'm rolling. So thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate it and you all have a good day. See you later. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.